This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Isabel Griffin, an outbreak epidemiologist at Florida Department of Health in Miami-Dade County. We'll be discussing her article about testing for Zika virus infection using the antibody IgM a year or more after illness. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's do some basic biology first. Explain to us what IgM is. So IgM stands for immunoglobulin M. It's one of five classes of antibodies that your body produces. Um, IgM antibodies are actually the first to appear after an infection. Prior to our study, there was actually very limited data on the length of time that the IgM antibody remains detectable after the onset of Zika symptoms. Uh, we knew that the IgM antibodies typically develop about four days after your symptom onset and remain detectable for at least 12 weeks. However, data on other flaviviruses like Zika, such as West Nile virus or yellow fever, suggests that those antibodies could actually remain detectable for a few months to up to years after infection. Your study discusses Zika virus, IgM, and neutralizing antibodies. What's the difference between them? So IgM antibodies are the immune system's first line of defense. Uh, Zika virus IgM antibodies actually bind to an antigen or a protein that's encoded by the Zika virus genome on the virus, signaling to the immune system to attack the virus. A Zika neutralizing antibody is one that functionally inhibits the Zika virus. In other words, the neutralizing antibody is preventing Zika virus from infecting the cells in your body. Um, an important distinction for diagnosis between the two is that IgM antibodies eventually will diminish, uh, whereas neutralizing antibodies may actually persist for many years, possibly providing lifelong immunity. Uh, those two antibodies are actually detected by two different uh, tests. So IgM antibodies are detected using an IgM capture enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, also known as the MACALISA. And the neutralizing antibodies are detected through what's called plaque reduction neutralization testing, or PRNT. Uh, Macalyza is a pretty common test that most laboratories can perform, whereas the PRNT is a little bit more laborsome, and very few laboratories actually are able to perform it. So why did you do this study? What were you trying to find out? So we wanted to see if the Zika virus IgM was detectable longer than the previous, previously established 12 weeks. So in order to do so, we actually reached out to all of our Zika cases from our 2016 outbreak uh, to see if they would be willing to provide us another serum sample to test for the presence of the Zika IgM antibodies nine to 15 months after their Zika symptom onset. So if individuals still had detectable IgM antibodies over a year after onset, this would have significant implications for the interpretation of lab results. Did you have a result in mind when you began this study? What did you think you'd find? So based on the literature concerning other flaviviruses, we knew it was plausible that the IgM could remain detectable that far out. Honestly, I thought everybody would be negative or have undetectable levels given that the previously believed time frame was up to 12 weeks, and we were testing a time frame significantly longer than the 12 weeks. And exactly what did you find, and what do you consider the most important aspects of these results? So we actually found that almost everybody still had detectable levels of the Zika IgM and all had Zika virus neutralizing antibodies many months after the previously documented antibody response. Uh, this means that if we were to encounter a patient today 
for example, an asymptomatic pregnant woman who tests negative for Zika virus by PCR or polymerase chain reaction testing, which is basically just looking for the presence of the virus rather than the body's antibody response, um, but is also positive for the Zika IgM antibodies, then we really don't know with certainty whether the exposure to Zika virus was recent or from over a year ago, which has significant implications for a pregnant woman. So this seems pretty challenging. Was What's the most challenging aspect of your study? Definitely the coordination. Um, so we actually had about 362 potential study participants during our time frame of interest. And it was a lot of coordination between those study participants and our phlebotomists and coordinating going to the client's homes or having them come to our clinic. So it was a lot of work and resources, but obviously it was well worth it because it now changes how we interpret Zika lab results. What does this mean for pregnant women and, and women of childbearing age since obviously they're the most impacted by getting the Zika virus? Yes. So our results really emphasize the importance of diagnosing Zika virus infection in pregnant women using the PCR. So that test that's looking for the presence of the virus, which can confirm a recent infection. Uh, PCR can be positive for a short period, usually about a week or two after infection. Uh, but when using the serological test results, such as the IgM, uh, it's important to consider the current epidemiology of the disease, whether the, the pregnant woman has had an exposure to Zika virus, her symptoms she may be having, so she having those cardinal symptoms of the fever, the rash, the joint pain, or the conjunctivitis, um, which may help determine the timing of infection. So just help me understand here, if if they've got these, this IgM or neutralizing antibodies that you find much later, um, they're really not still carrying a virus that can hurt a fetus then? Exactly. So it's just showing that at one point in time they were exposed, but it may not show that it's a recent infection. So it's really the, the presence of the virus um, that's having the greater impact on, on the fetus versus the presence of the antibodies. So can you clarify this crossover infection result? Does it mean that people have had multiple types of infection or that somehow the body reacts the same to all these flaboviruses? Mm -hmm. So the cross-reactivity refers to a limitation of the testing where serologic tests are unable to differentiate between flaboviruses, specifically Zika and dengue. Uh, primary Zika infections, so people that have never had another flavovirus infection, so they've only had Zika, uh, typically generate a highly specific neutralizing antibody, whereas secondary flavovirus infections, so perhaps someone that has had dengue previous to their Zika infection, show a high degree of cross-reactivity. Um, our convalescent study, or specimens, all had neutralizing antibodies to Zika virus, and 63% also had neutralizing antibodies to dengue virus. So our findings indicate that there's pretty significant cross-reactivity um, that is happening months to years after symptom onset. Um, this particular cross-reactivity uh, really limits our ability to make a definitive diagnosis, especially for diseases that have similar clinical presentations. So that does not mean that they've actually had both viruses. So exactly. The lab results will look like they did, but they didn't. So it's cross-reacting. Why do you think EID chose to publish this study? What good is this information for public health, and how can it improve things? So our findings have significant implications for both healthcare providers as well as public health officials. 
for healthcare providers, the findings affect how laboratory results are interpreted when diagnosing Zika virus, and for public health officials like myself, this changes how we actually conduct investigations of Zika virus, including those that would be looking at possible local transmission of the virus. So during our 2016 outbreak, um, if we had an asymptomatic individual who was PCR negative, so didn't have the presence of the virus in their urine or their serum, uh, but was IgM positive, we assumed that that individual was actually exposed in the prior 12 weeks because of what we believed the duration of the IgM to be. Based on our study findings now, uh, we do not know actually if this individual was exposed up to a year ago or possibly longer. Um, so our findings will hopefully improve both the diagnostic of Zika virus as well as the characterization of local transmission. And you think you touched on this earlier, but um, if you if people have antibodies to flaviviruses, does that mean they can't get the same one again? And if you are immune to, say, Zika, will that also protect you from dengue or chikungunya or one of the others? Yes. So based on our experiences with other flaviviruses, we believe that individuals who have had Zika infection will be protected from future infections. Uh, to date, there hasn't been a report of reinfection with Zika virus, and there are studies in animal models which show that prior infection will provide protection against future infections. However, if the virus strain were to mutate, uh, we really don't know if that could impact long-term immunity. Um, we also don't know if previous infection with Zika virus provides any sort of protection from dengue or other flaviviruses. There's actually a recent study that was just published last month in Science that suggests prior dengue infection lowers the risk of having a symptomatic Zika infection, but um, much more research is needed to address all of those questions. And what do you think are the future studies that should be done to help understand the Zika virus more? So the surprising results of this study, our study, actually prompted us to ask whether these antibodies extend even further beyond the 15 months uh, in which we were able to detect them. And I'm happy to say we actually just recently completed our final follow-up to the study to determine whether individuals remain positive 18 to 25 months after symptom onset. Uh, we're also examining how the PRNT titer value changes over time to better understand how to interpret Zika virus and dengue virus PRNT titers. Uh, we still don't know if someone is protected from reinfection or from other flaviviruses, so looking forward, we hope that those questions will be answered by colleagues. And what are the best ways for individuals to protect themselves from flaviviruses? Definitely mosquito repellent. Uh, the silver lining to mosquito-borne diseases is that we can mostly prevent them as long as we avoid or reduce mosquito exposures. And, of course, with Zika unprotected sex with individuals with Zika virus. Um, so if individuals are living in an area with mosquitoes, chances are they can spread disease. So it's always best to take precautions uh, wearing appropriate clothing and EPA-registered mosquito repellent. Is, is Zika unique in the fact that it can be sexually transmitted um, in flaviviruses? As far as I know, it is one of the only ones that can be sexually transmitted. What's your personal why? Why are you interested in this topic? So at the beginning of the outbreak, which just kind of appeared in Miami, um, we really didn't fully understand Zika virus, its transmission, and the risks associated with infection. So as the outbreak progressed in Miami, I actually oversaw all of the local investigations uh, in Miami-Dade County. So myself and countless other epidemiologists, uh, volunteers, a lot of government officials, and mosquito control specialists 
worked many, many hours uh, to identify areas of transmission and reduce the mosquito vector in order to prevent the future spread of the virus. Uh, for me, I didn't want a pregnant woman to have to worry about being bitten by an infected mosquito, and I didn't want for other people, you know, people living in the same community as myself, to have the same concerns that I did that an infected mosquito would bite them. Um, and thankfully, all of that hard work paid off because we were able to stop Zika in my immediate county. Um, the outbreak also really served as an opportunity to learn more about the virus and kind of um, fill that gap in knowledge that was present at the beginning of the outbreak. So since then, uh, we as a county have been able to write several reports describing how we identified the first outbreak um, in Wynwood, which we wouldn't have been able to do if those first cases and the affected businesses involved hadn't welcomed us during the investigation. Uh, we were able to look at clinical manifestations of Zika virus in children, which was actually a population that was often forgotten during the outbreak as a lot of our efforts primarily targeted pregnant women. Uh, we were able to look at things like HIV and Zika co-infections. So we received an, an incredible number of calls from healthcare providers that were really concerned about their HIV-positive patients and whether they were at greater risk of complications uh, due to Zika with their HIV. Um, and so because Miami is uniquely positioned and that we have a high burden of HIV in our county, we were actually able to look into that. And then now it's the duration of the Zika virus IgM antibodies. What did you find with the Zika and HIV? Um, so our sample size was pretty small. Uh, it was It's more of a case series of about nine, um, but we didn't find any significant differences between having HIV and being HIV negative and being co-infected, which is good. V very good, yes. But that's definitely one that you we need to continue looking into in future outbreaks. Future studies. Mm -hmm, exactly. If you personally could fix one thing in public health for all time, what would you choose? Probably that we as public health professionals would practice maybe more primary prevention, that is preventing diseases before they occur, uh, rather than responding once it has already occurred. Um, there's a lot of significant, you know, emerging infectious disease threats now, you know, such as healthcare-associated infections that we could be preventing and containing before they become the next epidemic. And finally, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work now and your career and what you're most passionate about? Sure. So I've been working with the Florida Department of Health in Miami-Dade County since 2014, and I currently serve as an outbreak epidemiologist in the Applied Epidemiology and Research Unit. I actually obtained my Master of Public Health degree, or MPH, from the University of Miami in 2014, and I'm currently pursuing my PhD in epidemiology at Florida International University. Uh, in recent years, I've been most involved with our county's response to chikungunya, Ebola, measles, and most recently Zika. Um, but if you were to ask my friends and my colleagues, they probably unanimously say that I am overly enthusiastic about public health, uh, going as so far as to nickname me the Leslie Nope of epidemiology. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Isabel. Thank you. I appreciate that Emerging Infectious Disease decided to publish the paper because these findings truly do impact uh, diagnosing pregnant women and conducting future investigations of outbreaks in the future. Um, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to 
discuss their findings with me. You listeners out there can read the February 2019 article, Zika Virus IgM Detection and Neutralizing Antibody Profiles 12 to 19 Months After Illness Onset, online at cdc.gov EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.